You think about favorite verses, and the John 3.16 seems to be the verse that sort of jumps off the page at you on uh, gatewaybible.com. In 2013, they had 456 million visits, and their page visits, they said, were 1.5 billion from 242 countries and territories, and the number one verse that was visited was John 3.16. Ryan Brown is our local WJOX sports personality over here sitting up there. Ryan Brown, uh, how many days is it till college football kicks off? (laughs) How many? Five days. College football will kick off. Why do I ask that question? Because in five days, what's going to happen is you're going to see signs go up. You're going to see people with shirts going John 3.16. Someone's going to be kicking an extra point or a field goal, and all of a sudden between the goalposts, John 3.16 appears. I mean, you see it at all kind of sporting events. In fact, I think 1977 is one of the first times we ever saw it, NBA Finals, and they're showing this sign, John 3.16, and it seemed to have caught on. And whether it's a golf tournament, basketball, football, whatever, you can pretty well be certain that somewhere there, there's going to be a John 3.16 sign. Why is that? As a child, if you had to learn Bible verses, if you were a child, had to learn Bible verses in vacation Bible school or in Sunday school, how many of you were taught John 3.16 as your very first verse to memorize? Just raise your hand. Whoa, look at this. All across the crowd. And why is that? That's a long verse for a child. There are 25 verses in the King, 25 words, excuse me, in the King James Version. 25 words. My thought is, why didn't they give us 1 Thessalonians 5.16? Rejoice evermore. Hey, just two words. And verse 17 says, pray without ceasing. I knock out two verses, five words. Hey, they didn't do that. Why is that? It's because they picked John 3.16, not because of its length, and not because of just the flow of the words. They picked John 3.16 because of the power of the message. And so today, that's what we want to do. We want to take a look at this verse, John 3, 16. And what I want you to do is just read it with me and let's repeat it together and get this in our minds. Are you ready? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John three sixteen. This is a verse that just does not sit uh, by itself. It's a part of a story. There was a man by the name of Nicodemus who was a devout Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was a ruling council, and he was a teacher of the law. And so this is a very prominent religious man, and he came to Jesus one night, and he said, I've seen the signs that you have done, and so it's obviously that you're a teacher from God. Now, interesting, what Jesus in a roundabout way is getting ready to tell him is this, in that, no, I am not a teacher from God. I am God who came to teach. And I want to talk to you about what it means to come and be a part of the kingdom of God. And he says, you must be born again. And in trying to explain that to him, he walks through an explanation, and then you come to verse 16. And verse 16, like, puts it all together and capsulizes everything Nicodemus needs to know about how are you to be born again? How can a person become right with God? 
And so in this verse, we're going to just look at this verse just section by section. And Jesus starts out the verse, he starts out with, for God. He says, God is the one you've been talking about. Let me tell you about that. He says, for God so loved the world. So here I've got, for God so loved the world. When he says that God so loved the world, if I looked at that and started with the word world, God so loved the world. What do you mean by the world? The world means mankind. It means everyone. But God doesn't just love us generally. God loves us individually. I remember being young and someone going up and saying, Dan, you can take this verse and say, for God so loved, and then you feel your name in there. For God so loved Danny. For God uh, so loved Jimmy. And God so loved Sally. And you just put your name in there. We could take the names of every person in this worship center and every person that is being live streamed, and we could, watching us on live stream, and we could scroll that and just fill their name in there. For God so loved the world, all mankind. God loved us as individuals. Now, our world is in a world of hurt. It's in ruin, chaos. It's like a hopeless condition. And many times we look at that and we say, boy, our world's in a sad state. But then when you take that world as a whole and you bring it down individually, we're in sad shape. Our lives are train wrecks. Our lives are filled with brokenness. Our lives are filled with sin. And so when it looks here and it says, for God so loved the world, he looked down and he sees the world and he sees you and he sees me. And when he sees us, he sees us as people who are evil, selfish, manipulative, prideful. You want me to keep going on? This is who we are. And we are sinners. We are people who are separated from God. And then we look there and we say, I've got this holy God who's righteous here. And then I look at my life and no matter what things I try to do good, there's absolutely no way a person like me with all of the junk in my life could possibly relate to a holy God. But it says in this verse, for God so loved the world. So there's something about the world and it says he so loved the world. He so loved. That word means he loved you so much. Uh, One translation says that he held us so dear and we were his prized possession. He loves you so much. So keep this in mind. We have a holy God and we have a really sinful world. That's us. But yet it says that God so loved the world and then the next word is that. He so loved the world that. When you get to the word that, you know what it's getting ready to tell you? How's he love the world? How's he going to do this? For God so loved the world that. Ever when your children were young and you look them in the eyes and you say, I love you, I love you so much. And your child usually will come back and say, how much, mommy? How much, daddy? How do you express that? Usually all we know to do is we just put our arms out like this and we just wrap them up in our arms and we give them a big squeeze and we say, I love you this much. Sometimes our kids go, love me less. You're squeezing me to death. But we just want to hug them and hold them. And we want to show them we love you this much. So if I'm looking at this verse and it says, for God so loved the world that... He's getting ready to show me the manner of his love, and he's getting ready to show me also the intensity of his love. So how much does God really love 
the world. How much does God really love you? It says here that he gave. He gave. I like the use of the word gave. He didn't say he sent. He said he gave. He didn't say I sent something to you. He says I gave someone for you. And it says that he gave. And when you look at the word give, it's a word that has a sacrificial connotation to him. So God's getting ready to give us something that is sacrificial because he loves us so much. And this is what his gift is. His only son. He gave his only son. Now, most of us, when we're growing up with a King James Version, it says, for God to love the world, he gave his only what? Begotten son. His only begotten son. That word begotten is a word that means unique. His one and only. Separates him from anything else. It is his unique one and only son. So as God looks out over mankind and looks over our lives, he says, I'm going to give my one and only son to you. Now when he gave his one and only son, he gave his one and only son not just to come here and to talk about um, some wonderful truths and to do miracles. He did all of those. But he gave his only son so that he would give him into the hands of sinners who had him crucified on a cross to pay for our sins. And this is what is amazing about this gift. He looked down at the world, he looked down at our messed up lives, and he gave his one and only unique son, and he says, I'm giving him to you. And Jesus came and for 33 years lived on this earth, and he taught, he taught about who God was, he tried to help people understand who God is and how God loves them. He did incredible miracles, he did everything he could to point people to God and to himself as the son of God. But you see, people rejected that message, and they rejected him, and so they took him, and they had a mock trial. They said, he's guilty, let's crucify him, because he claims to be God, which was true. He did, and he is God. But they didn't like that. So they crucified him, and they hung him on a cross, and suspended him between heaven and earth for six hours. And he died a painful death. Not just a painful death physically, but spiritually. As he took all the sins of all the world on him, and in something that we can't even understand, there came a point to where God the Father, who had been with the Son since all of eternity, had to turn his back on his own Son because he couldn't look upon all the sin that was on him. And in the midst of that, he died for our sins. They took him down off that cross, and they put him into a tomb. And when they put him in a tomb, three days later, the most amazing thing happened. And that is that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the key. If he was still in the tomb, hey, we wouldn't be here today. We would just say a man came, he died, and and we're sorry about that. But when he rose from the dead, he showed that he was truly God. And he truly could forgive us of our sins. And that's where the gift comes in. That he gave his only son. He gave him to die for our sins. Now, oftentimes, things will come into our lives exactly what Michael was just talking about. And talking about the, uh, an accident, the death of, a, of this beautiful, young, vibrant, young girl. And sometimes when that happens, people began to question God. And say, does God really love us? And where is God's love? And you know, God knew that we're going to ask that. 
And so what God has done to overcome that question is he has given a gift that is so beyond anything we can even imagine that we should always remember that God truly loves us. John Calvin uh, read one of his commentaries on this verse, and he made a statement. It just blew me away. And so we want to, I want to put that up here, for, and, and I want us to read through this. I want you to follow me with this. There's a number of words here, but oh, this is, it just capsulizes it. He says, but we ought to consider that in proportion to the estimation in which God holds his only begotten son. Now look at this. The estimation in which God holds his only begotten son. How high do you think God holds his son? About as high as you can get. There's no greater love than what God loved his son Jesus Christ. So you consider in proportion to the estimation in which he holds his only begotten son. So much the more precious did our salvation appear to him. For the ransom of which he chose that his only begotten son should die. You take the love God had for his son. And then you look, he says, you know what? The salvation of you and you and you and me is so precious that even the great love I have for my son, I'm willing to give him to die so you can be saved. Man. See, to me that just jumped all over me. I said, good gracious, that is exactly right. You think about giving your own child for someone. This is what he did for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Let me drive it down even more specific. Um, Sherry, you know, Rick and Sherry Burgess, and Sherry is working on a book, and uh, a book about Bronner, uh, who was their child who died at age two and a half in an accident. And pretty walks you through like a grief process and really a joyful process as to what God has done in the midst of that. And, and they gave me a, an opportunity to kind of read it early to look over some things. And so this week I was doing that and my mind was drawn to a part in that book to where it was um, the transcript from the funeral that was held right here on the church. Because on a Saturday, Bronner stepped to be with the Lord. Later that week, there was a funeral here at our church, and Rick Burgess, the father, said he wanted to share. Now, kind of the thing that always was interesting was Rick told me before, I'm just going to talk for about five minutes. <laughs> it went 20, and it was amazing. But in the midst of that message, let me read to you what he shared. And what he shared in that message is exactly what we're dealing with and exactly what Michael was talking about earlier. He says here, I think God's on record for how much he loves you and how much he loves me. Now, I love that statement. I think God's on record for how much he loves you and how much he loves me. So don't you ever take this situation and say, I thought God loved Rick and Sherry and their family. He does love me. That's why he died for me. And anything else I get... I don't deserve because I didn't deserve that. 
He said, if, if you're ever going to question me because something tragic has happened in the life of our family and say, well, does God love you or not? God's already on record for that. And you know where he's on record? In that he gave his only son. There will be difficulties that will happen in this life. And I'm going to minimize it at all. There'll be tears that'll be shed. There'll be questions that we'll ask. There'll be a dark night in the soul of us that we will struggle. But as we go through all of those struggles, there's one thing that we never need to question, and that is, does God love me? We may ask the question, God, why did this happen? God, why in the midst of your sovereignty did you allow something like this to happen? Those are questions that can be asked and should. But we should never say, well, God, I guess you just don't love me. No. He is already on record to say he loves you. He gave his son, his only son, to die for you. There's never a question of how much God loves you. And so in this incredible verse, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That, then you come over here. Now there's got to be a response. And it says that whoever, whoever, that means any person, everyone, God died for the world, God opens this invitation to every one of you. There's not one person here that can say, mm, now let me tell you about my life. No. Whoever. That includes everybody. Nobody's left out here. Nobody can walk out of this building and say, well, I wish I was like the guy that was three pews back from me. They look like they could really get this message. Every one of us in here. And it says that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him now it talks about believes in him when he's talking about believes in him he's talking about the son whoever believes in him whoever believes in the son so many times you talk to people and you say well tell me about your spiritual walk and they say oh i believe in god that's not the question do you believe in the son of god a lot of people say hey i just believe in god well that's a good start but do you believe in jesus the son of god because that's where it comes down to do you believe in the Son of God? That word believe is a word that means to rely on, to trust in, to cling to, to put your confidence in. Do you trust in Jesus Christ? Do you cling to him? Do you rely on him? Do you put your confidence in him that only through Christ can you be saved from your sins? And it says that whoever believes in him, here's the great news, should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him should not perish. Now that word perish is not talking about physical death, it's talking about spiritual death. Every one of us will die physically unless Christ comes first. So we're going to die physically. The question is, where will we spend eternity? And he says he should not perish, he should not be separated from God, but he will have eternal life. He will live forever in heaven. That is great news. For God so loved the world... That's all of us. That he gave his only son, his one and only unique son. And that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, should not perish, but have eternal life. This is why this is the first verse that we memorized as children. Because this is the gospel in a nutshell. This shows, shows us the love that God has for us. And it shows what he did because he loved us so much and that we could spend eternity with him. When I look at this verse, you know what I'm reminded of? I'm reminded of what an amazing God that we have. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that he knit us together in our mother's womb. 
Which means that he knew us from the moment of conception. God knew us and was knitting us together in our mother's womb. And then in the book of Ephesians, he says, you are God's masterpiece. And it says that when we're born, we're his masterpiece. And you are created for good works. Which means he's got a certain purpose for us and a plan for us. And then I look at this verse and he says, and I've made a provision that you will live with me forever. Now, what kind of God is this? This is incredible. He says, he knew me before I was born, knit me together, gave me a purpose in life. And then he says, Danny, when you die, and whether that is at age 15, 55, 95, whenever it is, when you step out of this world into eternity, guess what? You can spend eternity with me. I've made all the provisions for that to happen. What a God. And it's all right here because he so loved the world and he so loved you and me. And he makes that offer to you today. Many people in this room could circle the word believes and say, I've done that. But there's some of you that have not. There's some of you that may have had an intellectual belief, but you've never had trust to rely on, to cling to him, to place your confidence in him. And what I want to do is give you that opportunity right now to be able to make that decision and to do what it says in here, that whoever believes in him and claim that for yourself. So I want to ask every person here to bow your heads and to close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to think about the message that has been shared. And if you look at this verse and say, I've never done this, I want to give you an opportunity right now to be able to do this. I'm I'm going to say a prayer, and what I'd like for you to do in your own heart, between you and God, I'd love for you to repeat this. Not out loud, just between you and the Lord. And just repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I know that my sins have separated me from you. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I want to repent of those sins, turn my back on those sins, and accept your gift of salvation. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and to control my life. I thank you for answering my prayer and I thank you for giving me the assurance that when I die, I will spend eternity with you in heaven. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now look this way. If you prayed the prayer, you say, well, that's kind of a small prayer. It is, but everything in there, if that means is what's in your heart, The Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Which means that if you did that, then at that moment, Christ came into your heart. In a few moments, when we close our service, we're going to give you an opportunity to come and talk to myself or any of our staff members. We're going to be on the left side over here. We will close out our service. People will be heading on to the next Sunday school or home. And we would invite you just to come down here take my hand or take one of our staff members and said, you know what? I prayed that prayer. I just want to talk to someone. We'll be glad to talk to you about that. So I want you to hold on to that. But before we close this time, 
I want to do one more thing with you. You look at this verse and you say, this is such great news. I need to be able to share this with others. And I think you do. And I want to give you today a simple presentation as to how you can share the gospel with someone, a friend of yours. You know, we are broken people and we have lots of challenges in life. And there will be conversations that will begin to where you begin to talk to friends of yours and they begin to talk to you and it could be over, over a meal or, or just in daily discussions and they will talk to you about problems and life's challenges. And what I want to give you is to give you a tool for how can you take those discussions about problems and life challenges and turn it into a conversation about Jesus. And you can do this on a napkin. It's an easy thing to draw out. So let me share with you. The very first thing that you need to talk to them about is God's design. And that is you can sit down with someone and just draw a circle. I encourage you to take your sheet and just draw this out. It's going to be very simple. You draw a circle and say God's design. And that is that God designed this world to be perfect. God designed this world so that everything would work together in perfect harmony. Your family, your work, your marriage. God's design is that everything would be perfect. However, we have a tendency to want to depart from God's design, and that is what is called sin. And sin is when I do anything against God. And so there's a tendency within me to let my own pride and selfishness go my own way. And what I do is I go against God's design. And whenever I depart against God's design, the result will always be brokenness. And that's when my life begins to feel like it is in ruin. There are broken relationships. Uh, there's an emptiness within my life. And in the midst of this brokenness, in the midst of this challenges, I feel helpless. But you see, I don't want to stay in this brokenness. So what I do is I began to look for ways to numb the pain. And that's where you can draw just like a squiggly line going out over here to where there are things that I try to do, things I try to escape with, things that I take, things that I read, things that I do. And I do all these things to try to clear up this brokenness, to, to get me back whole again. But every one of these things, they just take you further and further away from God's design. And so when you get to this point in brokenness, you will finally get to the point to where you say, something's got to change. And I can't change it. I need something else. I need something outside of me to change this. And that's where what we call the gospel. And the gospel in the Bible is really, the translation is it means good news. The gospel's good news. And this is the good news, the good news of John 3.16 of what we just shared with you. And that is that God sent his son to die for our sins. And he took all the brokenness, all the ruin, all the emptiness, he took all of that and he put it on himself. And he says, I paid for it. And then when he rose from the dead, it verified that he is who he said he was, the son of God. It verified that he can truly forgive us of our sins and give us a new start. And so this is the good news. And so what you need to do is you need to take the next step, and that is to repent and believe. And repent, repent is, is when you say, I know I've done wrong, and I accept that I've done wrong, and then I turn, and I want to head in a different direction. And to say, 
God, I know that I've, have, I've messed up my life. I've, I've done things that are wrong. And what I'd like to do, Lord, is to get out of this brokenness. And that's where it comes to believe. And when you believe, it is to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And to believe is what we just talked about doing. And that is that you get to the point where you put your trust, put your reliance, your confidence in Christ. And when you do that, then all of a sudden you begin to make a move towards God's design. And that is where you want to recover and pursue God's design. So once I make this decision for the gospel, God's spirit comes in you and guess what? God's spirit comes in you. He gives you this desire to pursue God's design and to recover God's design in your life. And God begins to take that brokenness and to make it whole again. He begins to take that emptiness and fill you up and give you that purpose for life for what you were created for. And so then you begin this incredible journey of getting back to God's design. But the story doesn't end there. Because once that happens and God throws you back out in here and he wants you to find others who have broken lives and share with them the good news about, hey, there's a hope for your brokenness. It's called the gospel. And when you get the gospel, you can pursue and recover God's design and it just keeps on going. You can share this. You can just share this right on a napkin or a sheet of paper and draw these circles out. And there's nothing theological deep within this that is shared. It's just walking through what Christ has done. And we live in a world full of broken people. Three circles. Share your faith. Tell others the good news. Now, I know there's many of you here that you drew the circles, you wrote the words, and you said, there's no way I could say it like Danny said it. So I don't know if it'll work. Have I got good news for you. Are you ready? You can download this presentation. It's not me, but someone else's right here. It's called Life Conversation Guide. And I want you, everyone, take your phones out. And uh, you've got it at the App Store. If you've got an Android app on Google Play, you can see the name of this is Life Conversation Guide. You can go to Life Conversation Guide. You can find this on my iPhone. I downloaded it. It's an app. When you click on that app, it has the exact same presentation where you can stand there and just swipe it, your phone. If you're not good at drawing circles on a napkin, you can just do the swipe and it'll take the exact same presentation. If you said, I wish I knew what words to say, you can click the video and someone talks you through it. It's about two minutes, two and a half minutes, and they'll cover everything on that. Unbelievable. You could ride in your car, listen to that over and over, and you just get it down. It doesn't need to be a canned presentation, just your own words. But everything that you need is right there, and it's right there with your phone for that. Okay? John 3.16, a great verse, capsulizes the gospel. Let's accept it in our hearts, but let's tell this message to others. So what happens after you make that decision for Christ? After you make that decision for Christ, you are then to take a next step of obedience in baptism. And we have structured our service today so that we are going to baptize five people at the end of the service. And so they, at this time, are going to get prepared and go into the back and uh, get ready to, to be baptized. And so as they get set, we want you to have your hearts ready and to rejoice as five people who've made John 3:16 become a reality in their life are getting ready to step into the baptistry 
and to take that next step of obedience. And so we want to pray for them. So let me lead us in a word of prayer and, um, and get our hearts prepared for this exciting time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, uh, for this day. And thank you for John 3.16 and for the gospel. And it's our prayer, Lord, that uh, those who prayed and asked Christ to come in their heart, that as they uh, watch what takes place, that they'll get even more excited to see the beauty of what baptism means and to know that they have made this same commitment to you. Lord, may we be a people that take that verse and put it into our hearts and then that we live it out and then we tell others the good news of Jesus Christ. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.